We are in the book of Daniel. We're in the second half of the book of Daniel. We're in chapter 9 today. And uh, I'm really privileged uh, to be able to invite in a friend to come and teach today. And I'm going to introduce him in a minute. But before I introduce the, the, the teacher for today, the preacher for today, I'm going to invite Caitlin to come. She's going to do our scripture reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 9. Then I'll introduce Dimitri, and then we'll get to work on that. So Caitlin, would you please uh, lead us in the reading of God's word? Good morning. This is God's word from Daniel chapter 9. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Dimitri, come on up here, buddy. Um, This is my friend Dimitri Spotterell. And if you were around this summer when we were going through the book of Proverbs, you might remember that I invited him to come and preach this summer. And he did a fantastic sermon on the fear of the Lord. I was on vacation with family. I listened to it on on our Sound City Church app, and I was really grateful for uh, what you taught. And then I kind of threw out, I said, hey, we're doing the book of Daniel. And I threw out, you know, as I often do, various friends, pastors in the area. I said, hey, would you want to come preach on the book of Daniel? And I got back crickets. I mean, not a single one said, yes, I would love to come preach on the ram and the goat and the horns (laughs) and the talking beasts and all that. Nobody said yes, except for one person, (laughs) Dimitri (laughs) Spotterell. I'm, so, I'm starting to regret that. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> to be quite uh, Dimitri and I met in 2012 <laughs> when I was the worship pastor of uh, what's now Resurrection Church, Marcel Church in Tacoma. We met. Dimitri is a phenomenally talented musician, and I said, I want that guy in my worship band. And so I, I grabbed him, and we spent two years pretty much on a week-to-week basis leading worship, leading music together. Uh, wow. This is the only person in this room who has slapped me in the face, and there's a story to that I can tell you later. Uh, I asked him to do it. That's, that's all you need to know. Uh, Dimitri it wasn't I, out of anger. It was yeah. not out of anger. Out he, of said, he said, are you sure? And I said, please, I'm very sleepy. And so uh, Dimitri and I really spent a couple of years together in close proximity and close relationship. When I left Tacoma to move up here to the Linwood Shoreline area to become the, the campus pastor for Shoreline, uh, Dimitri actually w- was hired on staff to kind of take over for me as the music director of the church and has been with Resurrection Church. You guys are the same age as us. We're, we're yeah. both five-year-old churches. And uh, Dimitri now has been... Uh, going through a process to begin planting a brand new church in the Federal Way Auburn area. 
as a side note, Mr. Steve Garvey sitting right there, we married him off. He moved to Federal Way. He heard that his new pastor was coming, so you came up here to listen to him preach. I am hurt, right. brother. I am deeply yep. hurt. I love you, but man, I got, I got to work through some things here today. You, uh, I, I mean this in all sincerity. I know that I am, I am prone to uh, speak in, in hyperbolic sort of tones, but I really, really love this guy. I really respect him. He's one of my favorite people on planet Earth. Um, I love his heart for Jesus. I love his heart for his wife. And how many boys are you guys up to now? Three. Three boys in the house. Three my boys. goodness. And uh, he loves Jesus. He loves his word. He's a doggone good musician, but I, I didn't want to put too much on him today. So uh, I'm really thankful for you being here and to teach us from the book of Daniel. And so, friends, would you join with me in praying? I'm going to pray for you. Yes, I'm going to hand this, hand this all over to you and, and lead us, brother. Thanks. God, I thank you for... Dimitri, I thank you for his love for you. I thank you for the work that you have done in his life and in his heart to prepare him for this uh, opportunity to plant a new church. God, I thank you uh, that you have uh, brought him this far, and I know, God, you have more things for him in the future, and so we pray your blessing, and we pray your protection over him. God, I'm thankful that we uh, are reminded even today that we're part of something much bigger than just us. Uh, We are not just here because of Sound City Bible Church. We're here because of you, Lord Jesus, and right now, all over uh, over our region, there are people who are opening the scriptures and singing songs of praise to your name and are communing with you, and so, Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified, not only here, but really all throughout our region, throughout the Puget Sound, Lord God, an area of the world that so desperately uh, needs your goodness and your grace. Be with us now as we open your word. Speak uh, through uh, Dimitri, your servant, and may we all have soft and teachable hearts to receive truth from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's put our hands together and welcome Dimitri Spadaro here this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, it's good to be with you, Sound City. Uh, it's an honor and a joy to be with you. Uh, just a, a couple words just to honor you, brother. Thanks for sharing a bit about our relationship. Um, Pastor Aaron has been, uh, I would say in my mind, probably the, very, probably the, the, the top three people in my life that have uh, indirectly discipled me. Maybe it was direct. Maybe you had intention behind this, but I wasn't aware of it, so you did a good job. <laughs> uh, but, you know, with my time with Aaron and uh, uh, spending time serving together in the same band, uh, asking questions, seeing how he discipled those under his care and pointed them to Christ, uh, myself included. Uh, and then throughout the years, I just kept, I don't know if you remember, I just kept coming back. I'd ask you things like, hey, man, you know, uh, do I spank my children or do I not spank my children? <laughs> do I, you know, like, how, what do I do with this parenting thing? What do I do with the, this marriage thing and stuff? And um, he was gracious enough to respond in those moments, and they meant a lot. And it meant a lot. Your availability, uh, your, your pursuit, and your care uh, was noticed, and, and I'm grateful for it. So thank you. You guys have an awesome pastor. I'm grateful for that. Um, so uh, we're going to be in, in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, I was thankful that I'm covering a prayer this week and not random visions and crazy dreams. Uh, so, so that's the grace of God for me. Uh, uh, if you, could, you have your Bible open, go ahead and go there. Uh, and uh, what we'll do is um, we'll, we'll kick things off uh, here shortly. But I wanted to share this story with you before we get into this. Uh, when I was about 15 years of age, I was a non-Christian. I grew up in a Christian household, though. Uh, under uh, kind of a, a cultural cr- Christian uh, background, I understood who Jesus was and what the Bible was all about and, uh, and, and kind of saw uh, spiritual disciplines modeled uh, as a kid. My parents are both Christians. 
But being a non-Christian uh, as a 15-year-old uh, has some problems. I mean, I, I, I uh, was in a season where I was living uh, very much a duplicitous life. And I remember in that, in that season, my, my mom uh, basically caught me in sexual sin. I was sleeping around with my girlfriend at the time, and my parents caught me. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I remember the, the deep pain that I caused my parents. Uh, I remember uh, the hurt, the betrayal, the brokenness, the, the lying. The, uh, it, it really, really hurt them. I wouldn't have felt this and I wouldn't have said this back then because I was very selfish and self-absorbed in my sin, but uh, it really did bring them a lot of pain. Uh, but here's what I remember about that season. Uh, I remember most, to this day, my mom's prayers. Uh, I remember shortly after the time where I was caught in sin and, you know, in that season, we, we all lived in one house. In the second story, I was, I was, I was up in the second story you know, in my room, and I would wake up very early to go to school every day. And uh, regularly, I would you know, catch my mom praying. One moment, I, I woke up uh, early morning one day, well before everybody else was awake. And from the upstairs, I heard downstairs just kind of a very just sad weeping, muffled weeping, like, like, a, like the type of weeping as if somebody really precious to them passed away. And uh, she, was, um, she was weeping on my behalf. So she was uh, praying prayers to God in desperation for her, for her son, uh, as well as for the whole family. And I, I remember observing this uh, without her knowing. I mean, I was upstairs and and uh, to this day, I, I see those prayers of confession and pleas for mercy, uh, desperation that my mom was, was praying as God's good grace for me in my life. I believe those prayers, specifically for me, were answered. Um, God heard her prayers. In an ironic turn of events, I became a Christian, uh, and uh, God saved me. Uh, I don't doubt for a minute that those prayers were, by God's providence and in his sovereignty, uh, were answered, and they affected me. And so, why do I share this with you? Well, oftentimes, God accomplishes his redemptive purposes through prayers, he accomplishes his redemptive purposes through prayers. And we see this in our text today. But here's kind of a, a question to ask. Well, what kind of a prayer do we see that Daniel's praying here in, in chapter 9? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. Uh, people have said that there's, there's over nine different types of prayers within the scriptures. Prayers of thanksgiving, Prayers of adoration, uh, prayers of request and need from God, uh, prayers of confession and repentance, prayers of intercession, etc. However, in, in this prayer, uh, some say that this is a prayer of confession. Uh, others say that it is a prayer of, of repentance. 
and, and yet others say it's a, it's a prayer of intercession. And I was, as I was studying and prepping for this, I'm like, well, Lord, what, what, what prayer is this? Is it a confession? Is it a repentant prayer? Is it a, a prayer of intercession? And the answer was yes. <laughs> and so the answer was yes. It seems to me that all aspects of, of those types of prayers are, are, are shown here in this text. So, so here we go. Here's what I want to do. I want us for the remainder of our time to, to have a very close look at the prayer together. Uh, we'll go verse, verse by verse through it. And then I want to take some time and look at three aspects uh, of prayer in general that we can learn from this text as we go from here. Okay, is that, is that good? Okay, great. So let's, uh, let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Here's what the scriptures say. In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, now remember, Daniel and the people of Israel are in exile. If you remember the story, they were taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Then King Neb dies. I said Neb because I just don't want to repeat his name. It's just too long. So King Neb dies. Then his son Belshazzar takes over. And then, and then Belshazzar gets murdered. He gets killed. And then after he gets killed, it says back in chapter 5 that Darius the Mede takes over after that. And then if you remember in chapter 6, we recall that uh, Daniel has, uh, you know, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. That's under the, the reign of King Darius uh, the, the Mede. But immediately after chapter 6, what we see is a flashback that happens. Daniel has a, has a flashback to uh, his time under the authority of King Belshazzar. So, so chapters 7 and 8 are, are a flashback back to under Belshazzar's reign. And Daniel, in these chapters, has a bunch of visions and dreams. And thankfully, uh, I'm assuming you did a wonderful job, you know, tackling all that, Aaron. <laughs> you did. Okay, great. And... Uh, but basically, those dreams and visions uh, were pointing to the reality of, of uh, future kingdoms and, and kings that would reign over uh, God's people. And what we see here is this is being fulfilled now in chapter 9. You see that, that Darius, the Mede, is now in charge. And so... Going to chapter 9, we go from uh, chapter 5 and 6 into a flashback, and then now we're back up to speed, okay? So that's what I want, want you to understand where we're at. So verse 2, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel is recalling himself reading the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, uh, who was alive during the, the roughly the same time of the exile, uh, you know, remember that he, he prophesied about the exile. In Jeremiah chapter 25, Jeremiah uh, tells the people of Israel that, hey, this is what will happen to you if you persist in continual rebellion against me. That's what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says this over and over and over and over again, and yet Israel continually rebels. 
And then in Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah, after the exile begins, he writes a letter to those taken into captivity. He writes a letter in chapter 29 about uh, what the exiles are to expect, what they ought to do, and how they ought to live under the rule of a pagan empire. So he tells them, you need to go to Babylon, you need to submit yourself to, to the king of Babylon who's going, to, who's going to leave Jerusalem in desolation and take you captive. So go with him and seek the welfare of the city. Be his exiles, but seek to serve the king and to serve the city and to seek its prosperity so that you would prosper. Now we learn from the story in Jeremiah that some... Uh, some of the people uh, in Israel obeyed God, and they went, uh, taken captive to Babylon. Daniel was one of them, but others did not obey God and ended up being taken to Egypt and inevitably uh, suffering torture and persecution and ultimately death. And so what we see here is Daniel is reading the scriptures And he recalls God's promises to his people that he would take them back out of captivity after 70 years. So this this brings Daniel to a posture of hope and, and desperation before God. And so here's what he says next. He says, then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And you go, sackcloth and what? Like, what, what is going on here? The sackcloth and ashes here, it, it's, so, it's a concept that is so far removed from us today. You know, in the time that Daniel was writing this, sackcloth and ashes was a practice that, were to, that was to display a sense of deep, Deep sorrow and grief and lament. People who would put on sackcloth, uh, sackcloth was, was, was basically a black goat skin that they would put on themselves to, to demonstrate to those around them that they are in a state of utter mourning and grief. And, and they would dump ashes on themselves to signify to those around them that they are nothing, that their life is ruin and destruction. Can you imagine somebody doing that today? (laughs) You you would think they're crazy. In, In our culture, in our day and age, we have no clue how to process something like this. That's why we have such a hard time with the concept of grief and pain and death and sorrow and lament. We, we have no idea how to process these things. But here Daniel is doing this. And now here's what he says in, in verse 4. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Daniel appeals to God's covenant with his people, the steadfast love 
of God. Now, the, the word covenant, it basically means an agreement between two parties. You may be hearing this, and if you're hearing you're not a Christian or, or you're new to the faith, you're going, covenant, what, what's that? Well, if you could think of this, it, it, this is different from a, a contract. A contract becomes null and void if someone, one or, or both parties of, of the contract, fail to upkeep their end of the bargain. Right, the contract becomes null and void. But a covenant is is much deeper than just an agreement based on on contractual terms. A covenant is an agreement that God makes where He doesn't back out of the commitment He makes to His people, even when they fail on their end of the bargain. You see, a covenant essentially is a promise that God makes to his people despite their rebellion against him, that he would preserve them, that he would protect them, that he would provide for them, and basically that he would take care of them and love them forever. Regardless, regardless of whether or not they would reciprocate that love, whether or not they would respond to that love, whether or not they would, they would value that love, whether or not they would receive that love, regardless. That's what a covenant means. It's for God to upkeep his end of the bargain, regardless if the other party does not. So Daniel appeals to this. This is very important. You have to understand this. The reason for his confession hinges on this truth, he appeals to God's never-ending faithfulness to his people before he goes on. And so then what does he say? Let's look at verses 5 and 6. He says, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Daniel is basically saying, we have failed the agreement. We failed it. Not only have we failed to upkeep our end of the bargain, but even when you tried to pursue us by sending us messengers... Telling us, hey, 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 I love you, 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 I love you. You would not listen. Daniel's acknowledging this. He's saying, we were deaf. We would not listen to you. He's acknowledging their failure as a people and their rebellion. Then, in a very appropriate fashion, he begins to attribute things to God and to himself and his people. You think about this. This is an agreement, right? So then, in an agreement, if someone fails to upkeep their end of the bargain, right, he's now reciting the terms. He's now basically saying, here's what's attributed to you, and here's what's attributed to us. And so this is what we see in verses 7 through 10. So look, look at what he says. He says, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. But to us, open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. 
to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. He's being very clear in articulating what belongs to who. And what each party deserves as a result of upkeeping those terms. He then continues. Verses 11 through 14. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us. Because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. You see, Daniel here recalls what the agreement entailed. And he uses this phrase, law of Moses. And and you wonder, what does that mean, right? In verses 11 and verse 13, he says, law of Moses. Well, he's referring to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 28. In In the book of Deuteronomy, we see the law that God gives to his people to preserve them, to bless them, to provide for them, to take care of them. And then he lists out the conditions. He says, if you, if you upkeep your end of the bargain, if you respond to my commandments and laws, here's what's going to happen to you. And if you don't, if you fail to upkeep these laws, here's what's going to happen to you. And in Deuteronomy 28, is, this is a horrendous chapter. An utterly horrendous chapter of curses and judgment and destruction. But specifically, Daniel here, uh, he's keeping in mind Deuteronomy 28, verses 32 through 37. Now, let's look at them to see what it says. Deuteronomy 28, 32 through 37. It says, your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. Now, remember, this is what God is saying to his people if they refuse to obey his commandments and law. While your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long, but you shall be helpless. A nation that you have not known shall eat up the fruit of your ground and of all your labors, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually, so that you are driven mad by the sights that your eyes see. The Lord will strike you on the knees and on the legs with grievous boils of which you cannot be healed. From the sole of your foot to the crown of your head, the Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known. 
and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, and you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a byword among all the peoples where the Lord will lead you away. These are very, very intense words, are they not? But they are just words. You see, God hates evil. God despises evil. He takes evil very, very, very seriously. He takes the evil of the people of Israel seriously. He takes my evil seriously. And he takes your evil seriously. Daniel realizes this. He's aware of this. And he sees that what God said concerning the evil and the wickedness of the people of Israel has come true. It's very real to him. It's it's the air that he breathes in the context that he's living in. Everyone hates God. Everyone is living against God. Everyone's breaking God's commandments. Everyone is selfish and self-centered. Everyone is living their life on their own terms for their own gain, for their own selfishness. He's realizing this, and he sees it all. And he is, as best as he possibly can, acknowledging and confessing the reality of the situation that he and his people are in. You have to understand... Because God loves us so much, he must hate evil. Evil breaks the very inner recesses of his heart because he sees what it does to all of us. And so with this in mind, with this context in mind, this, the, the deplorable curses of Deuteronomy 28... Daniel continues in verses 15 through 16, and he says, And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, Because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, you have to understand here, why does he say Jerusalem? You ever wonder that? Like, okay, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem? Like, I would have been like, let your anger and wrath turn away from me. From the people. What what connection does Jerusalem have here? Well, you have to understand, in this context, in the Old Testament context, God's presence, God's, uh, God's fellowship resided in places. 
You had things like, like the tabernacle and the temple. And, and, and God's city, Jerusalem, was a special place where God's people could dwell in the presence of God with his people. And that was lost. You know, this, is, this is before Christ came into the world. This is before the Holy Spirit was given to each and every believer. This was before the reality of, of, of God, who is spirit, dwelling in the hearts of men across all time and space and cultures and contexts. This is way before that. So the presence of God and the blessing of God was tied to physical places, and Jerusalem was one of them. Jerusalem was the holy hill, as Daniel describes it. And he sees this, and you know what Daniel's basically saying here? Here's what he's basically saying. Daniel is appealing to God's righteousness, right? He says in in verse 16, according to all your righteous acts, because he longs for redemption. He longs for redemption. He longs for the day to come back when God would be with his people, and his people would be with him, and that they would be reconciled in right relationship. That's what he's longing for. Now the question for us is, in our context, do we long for that? Do we long for right relationship with God? What in our life is is obstructing that, breaking that? destroying right relationship with God in your life. What is that? And the pain that that, whatever that is, brings you, does it push you to long for redemption? Daniel longs for it. And he ends the prayer with a final attempt at pleading for God to hear him. So here's what he says in in, in the remaining verses. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not For your own sake, oh my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. Daniel here is is desperate. Can you you sense that in his pleas? Can you sense that in his tone, in in his posture before God? He is desperate. He is at the mercy of God. Just, just think about this. Have you ever been in a situation like this where you know you've sinned against God? You know that what you've done was utterly deplorable. You know that, that 
the consequences of what you've done are impending and you're seeing the fruit of them come about in your life. And there's nothing you can do about it. At all. And you know you deserve it. You know, what's interesting is, is continuing the story of, of my mom's prayers. Uh, I remember being in a place where God came into my life and he saved me. And through that process, he revealed to me the reality of my sin. The reality of the brokenness and pain and destruction that I cause. And, and I remember very clearly seeing uh, the, the, the consequences of my actions. And, and, and what I don't mean to, to get specific here for the sake of, of crudeness or whatever, but, but you have to understand, like, I'm steeped in sexual immorality and sin and addiction. And then I'm seeing the repercussions of all of that. The objectification of women, the, the continual lusting of the flesh, the continual disgusting nature of, 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 of lust and evil and sexual immorality. And, and I'm seeing the physiological, the spiritual, and moral repercussions of my condition. And I'm, I'm helpless in that moment. There's a sense of, of helplessness in Daniel's plea. He sees the consequences and he knows that they're just. But, but the beautiful thing about, about God and his character, as we'll see in a moment, is that he is so gracious to us. Even in the midst of all the pain, all the destruction, all the selfishness, all the evil that we see in the world around us and that we contribute to the world. And he loves us still. The covenant-keeping God, the steadfast love of God, the never-ending faithfulness of God. Do you see God that way in your life? through all your pains and struggles with sin and temptation and doubt and fear and anxiety and worry and brokenness and, and wrongs and hurts and sins committed against you and the repercussions of how you handle them and the bitterness and the resentment and, and all, all of the brokenness in your world, do you see God as faithful? Do you still see him saying, I am committed to you? I am steadfast in my love of you. Daniel is appealing to God's character in this prayer. So what I'd like us to do in the, in the remainder of our time is I'd like us to examine three aspects of prayer in general that we can learn from Daniel in this text that can help us understand how do, how do we respond to this? How do we engage in prayer? How do we come before God? And how do we, how do we respond to the reality of our brokenness and our sin? And what does it mean for us to pray for God's redemption? And so, 
I want us to look at three aspects of prayer in this text. And, and the first one is this, the purpose of prayer. Why, why do we pray? What is the point of prayer? You know, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I, I want to just explain something very basic. Prayer in its absolute fundamental definition is basically this. It's a conversation and relationship with God. It's you conversing with the creator. Just let that sink in for a moment. And what I'd like to point out in in this context is, is prayer, the purpose of prayer here, fundamentally, is relationship and transformation. Do you remember what Daniel is doing before he goes into prayer? What is he doing? He's reading the scriptures. You know, prayer is not a monologue. I know that to the unbelieving world, when they observe you praying, they see that. They think you're crazy. They think you're nuts. They think you're just talking to the air, talking to yourself. But it's not. It's not a monologue. Here's why. The dialogue of prayer includes God speaking and us responding. God speaks creates the whole universe out of nothing. God speaks through his prophets. God speaks through his law. God speaks through Christ. And then when he sends the Holy Spirit and empowers the church and builds the church up, he gives the church the the written word of God and he speaks to the church. And Daniel, in his context, is engaging with the word of God, which propels him and moves him to respond to God. Could it be, could it be that the reason why our prayers are so often faint-hearted and weak and, and, and void of any passion and zeal towards God, is it because that we refuse to hear from God through the word of God? Could that be the case in your your life today? You see, Daniel reads the scriptures and he is moved to respond to God in prayer. You see, prayer is transformational. You know, the way in which in our culture we sometimes think about prayer, we think that it's, it's merely a way to, to get things out of God, a, a way to, to receive things that we want in our life, the needs that we have and the requests that we have. And to be sure, God cares about our needs. He cares about our requests. But fundamentally, he wants for you to engage with him in prayer to change you. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote by... Uh, a philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, and he says this. He says, prayer does not change God. You realize that, right? <laughs> like, your prayers cannot change the maker of all things. He is altogether self-sufficient, but it changes him who prays. So you struggle with bitterness against someone, and you pray for them, it's hard to be bitter. When you struggle with the, the pains and toils and difficulties of life. When you pray, God shows up. God responds. God brings peace. And in that dialogue, God speaking, us responding, God speaking, us responding, 
we are formed more into the character and likeness of Christ. That is the fundamental purpose of prayer. What is the second aspect of prayer that I want to share with you? The second aspect is the power of prayer. Look at uh, verses 17a, 18a, and 19a. It says these, these words, Daniel, Daniel comes before God and, and here's what he says. He says, now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant. And in verse 18, O my God, incline your ear and hear. In verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. So Daniel, when he's engaging with God, he's fully aware that God is utterly capable of responding. God is not dead. God is not silent. God can and does respond to prayer. And so Daniel realizes this. But here's what's interesting, right? He he not only realizes this, but he believes. Do, Do you believe that God hears your prayers? Whatever they are. You know, public prayers, private prayers, verbally outspoken prayers, quiet in the inner recesses of your heart, longing prayers. Do you believe he hears them? Do you believe he he answers them? If you don't, why not? You see, in our day and age, there, there are two enemies of prayer that I want to point out. The first of which is cynicism. Cynicism. You see, what cynicism does is it, it, it inverts the reality of God. And I believe this very much truly, that cynicism, it actually is the reversal of the image of God. God makes man in his image, and then, as someone once said, we return the favor. What we do is we make God in our image and we impose realities on God that are just not true. But here's the reality of things. Because of our self-centered nature, when we appeal to God for requests for prayer and they're not answered, we immediately assume that he's an absentee father. But we don't assume, that's not our knee-jerk reaction to assume that maybe what we're praying for is probably not good. We just don't go there. That is not our knee-jerk reaction. But I can tell you with three little boys, 100%, the latter is more of the case than the former. I get hundreds of requests from my kids a day, all of which would wind them up dead, probably in some short amount of time. And no, I don't answer them the way in which they want me to. But notice their response in those moments. Cynicism, doubt, disappointment. The the second enemy of of prayer is condemnation. Most of us, if we're really, really, really being honest, most of us, if we're really being honest, don't go to God because we think he is a really, really, really bad father and who hates us. I mean, in the reality of sin, I think the weight of that oftentimes moves us to think that God wants ill for us. But the reality is far from that. 
God is loving because of Christ. I want you to get this. Jesus was the full imprint of God in the flesh. God dwelling in the flesh. And if you, I want you to, I want you to think about this. If you somewhere in your subconscious understanding of who God is, think that he's evil and hating and wicked and wants evil for you, just look at Christ. Look at his life. If he says, I am the full representation of who God is, man, that's hopeful, is it not? So there is power in prayer but, you know, here's, here's what I think happens oftentimes. What we do is um, sometimes, and this is true for me in my context, where I, I grew up in, in, in a non, you know, I was a non-Christian in a Christian home, but then when I became a Christian, I was introduced to what some of you may be very familiar with. It's called Reformed Theology. Have you heard of it? Awesome. It's a gift of the Lord to me in my life. I'm grateful for it. But here's what oftentimes happens for us folks who have been in, in the Reformed circles. That is that... Because we fall into the trap of determinism, we refuse to go to God in prayer. We, we say this. Here's what we say. God knows all things. God is sovereign over all things. God predestines all things. God is in control over all things. True? True. So therefore, what difference does my prayer make? What difference does it make? Ironically... Daniel's prayer makes it into scripture. And, and I, would, I would argue this. Now, this is not scripture, so don't, don't, don't take this as scripture. This is opinion. But I would argue that God predestined Daniel's prayer. And, da- and, and God used Daniel's prayer to bring about the redemption of his people. So when you go to God, Christian, Know that he hears your prayers and he uses your prayers to accomplish whatever purposes he so chooses. And the last, the last aspect of prayer, and I, and I promise we'll close, is the, the promise of prayer. You know, when we go to God in prayer, what does God promise us? You might be surprised by the answer. God promises us humility. That's just great. I really, really want to pray now, right? (laughs) Just think about it for a second. What do you see in the person of Daniel? You see a proud man? No, you see a very humble man. And notice that Praying has been a continual, regular discipline in his life throughout the whole book of Daniel. Do you remember that? Remember how he ended up in the lion's den? Prayer. And notice that every single time that he has an opportunity to to serve others and, and, and to worship God, he does so out of the context of prayer. He is a praying man. And the promise that we have in prayer is that God humbles us for our good and for his glory. You see, when you look at Daniel's prayer, 
you, you almost get this idea of like, why is this guy even praying? Like when you look at the, the book, right, he, he seems like a very godly man, does he? Does he not? He, he's a very faithful man. Doesn't seem like he's done anything outlandishly rebellious and sinful against God himself, at least not what we see here. And yet, he takes on the responsibility of the sins of the whole nation of Israel. He takes corporate responsibility for their sin. He says we like a bunch of times in the, in the scripture. You notice that? Now, who else dare I say, takes corporate responsibility for sin. Jesus. Jesus not only takes the responsibility for our sin, but the scriptures in 1 Corinthians says, he who knew no sin became sin. He not only took the responsibility for our sins, but he took the punishment and penalty for our sins, which resulted in his death. You see, imagine this, friends. God's covenantal pursuit of you, continual pursuit of you, over the course of your life, can culminate in the reality of sending Christ into the world. Jesus, who, who, is, who is God in all eternity, took on human flesh and came and lived among us as a human being, as God in the flesh, perfect, without sin. And he lived a perfect life and went to the cross to die in our place for our sin, taking the penalty of what we deserve. You see, Daniel, had he known, had he seen, had he tasted of what Christ would accomplish, he would respond in utter rejoicing. What you and I have today, Daniel longed for in this prayer. And that is that God, despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite our rebellion, pursues us and redeems us from all sin. And he rose from the grave, conquering our sin, conquering Satan, conquering death, and he's reigning and ruling over all things as we speak. But notice what he does. As he rises into the heavenlies to sit at the right hand of the Father, before he does that, it says that he ascends to heaven to intercede for us. Christ, today, if you believe in him, intercedes for you. I want us to look at one prayer, and then I'm going to pray. In John 17, verses 17 through 20, Jesus prays. And I encourage you to go read that whole prayer. It's amazing, it's beautiful. But I want you to see what he says in these verses. He says... Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you are a Christian today, it's because God answered Jesus' prayer. And that is a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful gift 
to us. Friends, here's, here's the big idea. Here's what I want to share with you. Because of Jesus, we can experience and hope for redemption as we approach God in humility and prayer. Do you believe that? My hope and prayer for you is that you would receive that today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the goodness that you've shown us time and time and time and time and time again in our life. Whether we've acknowledged those graces or not, whether we realize them or not, we pray that you would help us realize them. We pray that you would prompt our hearts to confess and repent of sin in our life because we realize that they have been committed against a wonderfully, beautiful, good, well-intended motive that you have for us. And Lord, that as we, we ponder on the beauty and glory of who Jesus is, we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit would lift our hearts to make much of him and to rest in the abundant grace that you've provided. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother, for serving us. Thank you for teaching us. So much, so much truth to chew on there. And uh, let's just stay in that attitude of prayer right now as we go to the Lord's table. Let me say this. First um, Corinthians 11 talks about this meal, the, the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, the night as he is taking corporate responsibility for all of us. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Same way, Jesus took a cup. It's full of wine after supper. He says, this cup is the new covenant, the renewed commitment written in his blood. So all those truths that Demetrius was just telling us about back then, that God is a covenant-keeping God, Jesus said, I'm going to write the covenant in my own blood. My commitment to you, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, I would argue that the commemorative meal that we're about to celebrate is no mere commemorative meal. This is not just some ritual or symbol that we go through. It is an opportunity to commune with the God of the universe in prayer. And sometimes for us, prayer can be so abstract. I'm talking with God. And so God in his grace gave us these very tangible, practical symbols. Bread, wine, to remind us that he is with us. So today as the band plays and as we, as we do what the Apostle Paul instructs us to do, to examine ourselves, we're going to examine ourselves. For some of you, you don't like to self-examine. You don't want the Holy Spirit to come and point out those things in your life where you have sinned and fallen, but I'm telling you, it's good to take off the backpack filled with rocks that you're lugging around all week long. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we eat and as we drink. I'll invite you to take a few moments to hold before the Lord. Pray, ask him, Lord, show me anything in my heart, anything in my life that is not pleasing to you. 
And as you sense his good pleasure and his love for you, his grace for you, his covenant commitment to you that is not based on your works but on the finished work of Christ, you receive his grace and you eat and you drink with confidence as beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. And then we'll stand together and we'll sing. God, I pray right now as we come to you at the table. God, even corporately, we come to you right now. Your sons and your daughters, God, we confess, like the children of Israel, we have sinned. We have committed great wrongs against you. And so, God, we don't appeal to you now on the basis of our own righteousness, on the basis of our own wisdom, our own intellect, our own prettiness or handsomeness, on the basis of our own smartness or right theology. We appeal to you on the basis of your grace and your mercy that Jesus loved us. He died for us. And he rose again to offer us redemption and new life. Come now, Holy Spirit. Stir in our hearts as you wish. Amen. Friends, take a moment. Pray, eat, drink, and then we'll pray together in song in a moment.